If I were to be perfectly honest, I think I would have told you when I asked the question, how was your week? Did you have a good week? If I'd have answered it, honestly, I'd have said, my week was okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of so-so. Yeah, you know, it says nothing, right? It, it doesn't give you any details, but I don't know. It, it's been one of those weeks where you look forward to the day starting over because you're done with that day, right? I'm done with today. I, I'm looking forward to tomorrow because... I'm kind of done today, and it's been kind of a week like that for me this week, I'm not exactly sure why, but it's just been kind of like that this week, and that's kind of what this, this lesson is about in the series, one of the two series that we're doing right now, Who Rules? Today's going to talk about a new day, and who wouldn't like a new day? Every once in a while you need a brand new day, because life is kind of like well, it, it, it likes to beat you up, I think. It likes to take a lot from you if you, if you let it. Um, this is kind of, I, I've got a, I guess you would call a dark sense of humor, maybe. Um, I, like, I like things that kind of push the envelope of, that's not funny to others, but it's funny to me. And these are one, this is one of the things that I have on my desktop that flashes every so often as it goes through the pictures. Can you all read that? Okay. That's, that's kind of my, that's my dark sense of humor. You know, life is awful. Just lay down the dirt and give up. In fact, when I was going through preaching school, one of, the, one of my buddies in preaching school, T.J. Bolin. Anybody remember T.J. Bolin? Yeah, he, he and I have a similar sense of humor, and, and we'd show up on, on the days, and, and I'd say, oh, sweet, sweet death, I can't wait. And he'd say, yeah, amen, sweet, sweet death. Sometimes, you know, you're just ready to go home. Yes, yeah, to be or not to be, right? Yeah, sweet, sweet death. Boy, some days I'd just like to go home, but luckily for me, Jesus offers a fresh start, Amen. not only in, in the, the beginning of my journey with Jesus, but every single day he offers a fresh start. Go over to Luke chapter 4. I want you to see how Jesus jumps onto the scene and he says, I'm going to offer everybody a fresh start. And he kind of describes how he's going to offer the people a, a fresh start. And then in that same chapter, it's going to give us a description, sort of a description of his day and how he goes through the day. Delivering this fresh start to the people. In chapter 4, verses 18 through 19 specifically, because that's where he, he announces what he's doing. But he's obviously he's going to Nazareth there. He came to Nazareth in verse 16. And he's going into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stands up to read. And in verse 17 it says, they handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opens it and he reads this. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. There's how Jesus announces his ministry. He says, this is what I'm coming to do. And he lays it out there in front of people. And that's, that's sort of vague. He's, he's saying... This is what I'm going to do, but look later on in that chapter. Look at verses 31 through 44, and look at kind of a typical day for Jesus. Now, I think I have 
busy days sometimes. And there's a lot of demands on me, in my opinion, in, day, in some days. But look at Jesus here. This is kind of, I think, might be a snapshot of a typical day. He came down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. There was a man in the synagogue possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have, you to do, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, you holy one of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of them without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and they began discussing with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was getting out into every locality in the surrounding district. And he rose and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's home. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they made a request of him on her behalf. Standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and waited on them. And while the sun was setting, all who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him. Laying his hands on every one of them, he was, he was healing them. And demons also were coming out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Son of God, and rebuking them. He would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. And when day came, he departed, and he went to a lonely place. And the multitudes were searching for him, and he came to him, and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. That's kind of, I envision a typical day for Jesus, typical afternoon for Jesus. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he doesn't get to just sit down and rest. He immediately heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then people bring sick people to him, demon-filled people to him. And then he tries to find a lonely place when day comes, and they still come and find him, and they won't let him get away from him. They don't want him to leave. He's got people all around him all the time, and that's because I think they're, he's offering them something they don't see in other places. He's offering them something that they don't get from other people. They notice the teaching that's with authority. There's something special about the way this guy teaches. There's something special about the way he, he acts. There's something special about what he does. He's offering these people something new and fresh. Not the same old, same old. He offers to the brokenhearted, the ones that are sick, the ones that are hurting even ones, I think, that are swallowed up in the traditions that they're wrapped up into right now, those people eventually come to them. Some of them come to him and say, well, who are you? Remember Nicodemus coming to him, mm -hmm. a Pharisee, who's probably swallowed up in these traditions. And, and whatever thought process is leading him to Jesus, I would, I would like to know what led up to that saying, I've got to go find him. He comes to him at night, which indicates that you know, I may not want everybody to know I'm coming to you either. But there's something about him that makes the Pharisees, that makes the common person, everybody say, there's something special about him. He's offering something new, something fresh. And that's what we're going to look at today in Jesus, this new day that he offers people, from the least of the people to the greatest of the people, in, in man's opinion, whatever. He offers this fresh new thing. Go over to Luke chapter 21. Here's the first part of what he offers. In Luke chapter 21, verses 29-33, he's going to be talking about a fig tree here. He's going to be using an example here. 21, 29-33. 
He told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it, and you know for yourselves that summer is now near. Even so you, too, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Even so you, too, when you see these things happen, notice that the kingdom of God is near. Notice that and and remember that, because this is a, a part of that new day that Jesus is declaring, is that the kingdom of God is near. He's going to say that over and over again in his ministry. This is something new for the people's ears. Verse 32, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, Jesus is talking about a parable of a fig tree here. And notice when this happens that the kingdom of God is near. This is something new for the people. I'm sure you know as well as I do the, the importance of fig trees. Even in Romans, Romans thought fig trees were important. They indicated prosperity. You know, For the Jewish life, the fig trees were very important. They wouldn't cut them down if they even, even gave a little bit of fruit. I mean, they, they'd, they'd cultivate that and they'd, they'd let, it, let it go, let it, let, it, uh, let, it, let it work itself out. In fact, if you go over to Deuteronomy 8.8, 8, it is one of the seven fruits that are promised in the promised land. One of the seven things that's listed in that list of things that is promised. These are one of the good things you're looking forward to, God says to his people in Deuteronomy 8.8. 8. And in Numbers 20, verse 5, that's one of the, the indications that the land, when, when you see the fruit, fig trees that are desolated, fig trees are gone, that, that's an indication that, that your land is, is, is desolate, that it's barren. So you, you got the good, God saying, this is part of the promised land. And then you've got the, the other side of the fence that when you don't see fig trees around, there's, there's something wrong. Their fig trees are, are, are important. They're important to their culture. They're important to his, his ministry here. What God is saying here, that the rule of God, the kingdom of God is near. He's really telling these people, this is how God is. This is the way God rules. And this, open up your eyes and see the way God rules here. The old is about to be replaced with the new. The old is about to be replaced with the new. Go over to Luke chapter 5, since you're in Luke already. And look at where he is and what he's doing and the remarks that happen with the people here. Verse 27 of chapter 5. After that, he went out. He noticed a tax gatherer named Levi sitting in the tax office. He said to him, follow me. He left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him at his house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax gatherers and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, and it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. And they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and others and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come when, they are, when, and days will come when, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. He was also telling them a parable. Now, I'm not going to go into the parable yet because we're going to go on to that next. But notice what he's saying here. Who is sick in this scenario? He's saying, I've come to save those who are sick, right? I've come to be a physician. I've come to save those sick. In this scenario, who is sick? 
Pharisees. Okay, yeah, tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees. Actually, everybody's sick in this scenario. There's, there, when, when the Pharisees are hearing that, they're probably thinking, oh, he came to the sinners. And the others, the, the sinners are probably thinking, great, I'm glad he's coming to us. But the Pharisees, I, I, I wonder, some of the Pharisees are obviously, as Nicodemus has a change of heart. There are some Pharisees who are genuinely looking for an answer, but... A lot of the Pharisees are simply looking to trap Jesus, simply looking to, to find something to, to nail him on. Right. They don't need this man. They don't need him. So when, when he's saying, I've come for the sinners, I've come to heal the sick, he's really talking about you, who, the Pharisee he was talking to. He's asking the question, I've come for you too, but you just don't recognize that I've come for you. And, and you're not ready to hear the message that I've come to give you. These people over here recognize that they need help and they're willing to listen. And they're going to listen. And that's why I'm talking to them. But hey, if you're going to listen, I'll talk to you too. He talks to Nicodemus. He'll talk to the people who want to listen. He'll talk to the people that don't want to listen. But when they walk away, he's going to say, okay, fine, I'm sorry, you don't want to hear. I'm offering you this message. The old is about to be replaced with the new here. Both groups need a new day. The, the, the group of the Pharisees and the group of the sinners, so-called sinners, the tax gatherers, all these. Everybody here needs a new day. And Jesus says, this is the way God rules. He's about to make a new day. He's about to come on the scene. This, this is this kingdom of God that the rule of God, in, in a sense, has always been there because God has always ruled. But this kingdom that is coming, that Jesus is announcing, is right on the scene. It's on the precipice of history here. And he's saying, you, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it because you don't think you're sick enough for it. You think you're still healthy enough and you're going to miss the message that I'm bringing. That's the very first thing that we see here in the fig tree here and, and, and the, the groups that he's talking to is that, boy, I, I, I don't want a new day. I'm good enough already. I don't need a new day. I don't need a new start. I'm fine. I'm not the sinner in this scenario, Jesus. You've got the wrong person. And Jesus is saying, no, I don't have the wrong person. You you also need a physician. You just don't recognize it yet. Second thing. Again, in Luke chapter 5 there, we'll, we'll continue on from 36 to the end of that chapter. After he gets done with that, he picks up and he tells them a parable about this. And he says, he was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he would both tear, tear both the old and the new. And, no, and the new piece will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says, the old is good enough. Garments and wine here. Now, I have not patched garments in my life. I've never patched anything. My mom patched many, many, many jeans for me. I, I used to wear the knees out of those stupid things all the time. She would get frustrated because we'd buy new, she'd buy, we. I didn't buy anything either back then. She bought new jeans, and I'd have holes in them, and she'd have to patch them. So I don't know what goes into patching. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that patching nowadays is a little different than patching back then. Well, you know, well now, nowadays, yeah, right. That's true. They don't patch much today. In fact, holes in jeans are now popular, I guess, so... I was just ahead of my time creating my own fashion, but just in two pieces, places on my knees. <laughs> but 
But anyway, you know, this, this old style here, you've got to actually work that old, that new patch so that it's, so that it's, it's worked enough so that it can attach to the old garment. Otherwise, it's going to rip. And that's what Jesus is saying. You can't grab this new thing here and attach it to the old and expect it to work. It's going to rip apart. It's going to tear apart. And he says the same thing with the old wine, the wine and the new wineskins. Or old, you know what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying, too. I just can't get it out of my mouth. The wine and the wineskins. If you put this fresh wine, this first droppings of wine into these old wineskins that are leathery. And, and you'll notice that, that, you see that picture of that wineskin there? A lot of times, I wonder if I can... Nope, it won't translate. A lot of times when, when I thought of wineskins, I was thinking of the common wineskin today and, and the one that you know, Davy Crockett may have carried and things like that. But, but those are animal skins. You can see where the neck is. You can see those little four things at the top where the legs were and the tail there. That animal skins holding this stuff. And when they hold it long enough, then they, they get brittle and they get old. You put new wine in there that's going to expand in there and boom, you've got, you got a problem. You'll lose all your wine. That's what Jesus is saying. You put the new inside the old, it's going to blow up, literally. It's going to blow up all over you. Which is interesting, that that blowing up, that new. Go over to Romans chapter 1. Jesus says this new thing is going to blow up the old. And in a sense, it does blow up the old. He's come to fulfill the law. But when I think of blowing up the old, I always think of Romans chapter 1 verse 16. When Paul is talking about the power of the gospel, the fact that he's not ashamed of it. For I am not ashamed of the power of the gospel, for it is the power of God, excuse me, for the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that word there, that, that power, is where we get our, our word dynamite. Yeah. That boom, that, that, that explosive power of God is found in the gospel of Christ. If you try to fit that explosive power into something old and brittle, it's going to explode. It's going to ruin both things. You can't have it. That, that new power is going to be all over the ground and your wine's going to be no good. And the wineskin's going to be no good. It's all over the place. And when Jesus is challenged by the things that they've already said about why do you eat with these people and the fact that he says, I've come for the sick and not for the righteous. When he's challenged about these things, he goes deeper than just these people need help and you're not willing to help them. He goes deeper than that. And he says to the Pharisees literally pretty much here this, you think you're so spiritual because you do this. You think you're so spiritual because you fast twice a week. Look over in Luke 18 again. Luke chapter 18. And here is the idea of, I am so spiritual. 11 through 12 is this, is this distinct section where it talks about that. The Pharisee and the tax gatherer. Again, he's, Jesus is, is again telling them this. And he's saying, look at these two people. Look at the juxtaposition here. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like the other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Mm. I do it twice a week. I fast twice a week. That means I'm more spiritual than the next guy. Why didn't God think of that? It's so simple. Just fast twice a week. You're better than the next person. You're closer to God, right? That's what I'm thinking. That's what they're thinking. It, it makes me closer to God. It makes me better than you. 
if I'm fasting twice a week. I am definitely better than these tax gatherers. I'm not an adulterer. I fast twice a week. But Jesus says to them, let me tell you how God rules. That's what he's about to tell them here. That's what he is telling them there. Let me tell you how God rules, that this new day is coming. This new day is coming. Anybody remember Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34? No? My wife remembers that because it was one of the verses I had to memorize in preaching school. And I think I drove her crazy telling it to her. And her correcting me when I got it wrong. Over and over and over again. Behold, days are coming. When God will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of... He'll do all these things new. He's going to make a new covenant. There's going to be a new thing coming. He's telling you way back in Jeremiah. I'm going to make something new. I'm making something new. It's on the horizon. The old is becoming obsolete. And the new is coming. Hebrews even refers back to Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. and talks about this, this new thing coming. This new covenant. This new wine will not fit in the old wineskins. What I was wondering when I was reading that is, do we ever fall into those I'm better than you are scenarios today? I'm more spiritual than you are. I haven't heard anybody bragging about fasting twice a week because we don't pretty much don't fast at all usually. Well, very often, very often we don't fast very. I, yeah, not purposely, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know how would that look in our lives today. To be people who say I am more spiritual than you are. I've got it all together. And and falling into the category of the ones who are not recognizing that we need that new day just as much as the next guy needs the new day. As the one who who doesn't fast twice a week, he needs a new day. The one who fasts twice a week still needs that same new day. We're on the same level playing field. That's one great thing about Christianity. It is the great equalizer. Because no matter where we come from, no matter what we do, no matter who we are, no matter how much money we make or don't make, we're all equal. In the fact that I am not good enough to save myself. I need God. And that God saves us all by his grace and his mercy through Christ's sacrifice. That equalizes everything. It doesn't matter where we are, where we come from. It's this great equalizer. And God is, and through Jesus is saying, you don't see this new day. You don't see this great equalizer that you Pharisee need it. That you sinner, quote unquote sinner, tax gatherer, you need this. They're so worried about the outside of the cup that they're missing that inside of the cup principle. They've washed that outside of the cup. It looks beautiful. It looks bright. It looks clean. But the inside of the cup is still dirty. It's still full of what? Dead men's bones. It's dead inside. Dead inside. Now for the banquet. Go over to Luke chapter 14 where Art read for us this morning. Clean the inside but the outside... Or clean the outside, but the inside is still dirty. Luke chapter 14, and Art read for us 15 through 24 there. Talking about this this banquet that is being thrown, this huge banquet. You know, looking at at what banquets meant to them, and and even wedding banquets lasting 10 days. What I found interesting about the wedding banquets is that if you get an invitation for a wedding banquet, you drop what you're doing and you come to the wedding banquet. If you're fasting, you stop fasting, and you go to the wedding banquet, and you, and you partake in this wedding banquet, then you go back to finishing your fast. If you're mourning, 
if you're rejoicing, whatever you're doing, you stop right then and you go attend the wedding banquet and you take part in that and then you go back to your normal life. Which is one of the reasons I think Jesus says in a couple of places, but uh, the one I was looking at again, he's already said it in uh, Luke. But in Matthew chapter 9, he reiterates it in verse 15 when he says, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can he? Can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. You don't, you don't fast when, you, when you're at the, at the wedding feast. You feast. Then you fast. If you're fasting before, you stop. Then you feast. Then you fast. But you stop doing what you're doing. And God has already sent out the invitation here. He's already said, hey, come, I've got everything ready for you. And they've already said, okay. And then the excuses come in that we can't come to this banquet that you're throwing. We can't do it. And look how Jesus is being watched so closely here. Go back to the beginning of that chapter. Chapter 14, verse 1. Look how closely he's being watched. When it came, it came about when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, that they were watching him closely. And verse 2 has got to be a setup. It's what I always have, have thought it was. It looks like a setup to me. Of course, it, it may just be God's providence, that, it's, that it needs to happen so that he can make these points but I've often wondered if it was a setup by the, these men who are watching him closely. There in front of him was a certain man suffering with dropsy. Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him, healed him, and sent him away. He said, Which one of, him, which one of you shall have a son or an ox fall into a well and not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not make reply to this. And then he goes on to talk about being invited to a wedding feast and not wanting the chief seats, not wanting the best seats, but re- regarding yourself humbly and, and, and sitting in a low position and then being exalted because you're sitting in a low position. Lessons in humility there from chapter 14, 7 through 14. And that's where he says in verse 15, when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, they said, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So now he's just gotten through... This, obviously being watched closely, well, still being watched closely, he's healed this man, he's challenged them, they've, they've remained silent, then he's talked about this, this humility that you need, and then somebody pipes up that doesn't even seem to be humble, and is saying, blessed is everyone who shall eat in the, bread, the bread in the kingdom of God, and now Jesus is going to say, okay, let me tell you who are sitting here who think they're eating bread at the kingdom of God, who think they're eating bread at the table of the kingdom of God here. Let me tell you who you really are. Let me tell you, who you what you're really doing. I think, he's, I think he's jumping from that humility to this, this person's comments, and he's using, again, a simple comment here in verse 15 to say, you guys think you're there? Let me show you you're not there. You're not there yet. You're still the same guys who don't understand that that I've come for you, that don't think you're sick. You're the Pharisees that don't think you're sick here. You think you're still this, this group of religious people who are fasting twice a week so you're better than the next guy. No, let me tell you the truth. He invited you to a banquet. But you narrow-minded, legalistic people decided not to come. 
And because you decided not to come, he sent invitations out to those who are the lowly, the lonely, the, the, the lame, the sick, the, the ones that weren't invited, and they're coming now, and they're going to take your place. In fact, I want you to look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because when I think of the people that he invited, I think of Paul's admonition to the Corinthians when he's talking about considering their calling and reminding, him, reminding them of who they are and why God has chosen them and how God has chosen them. Verse 26 to the end of that chapter, he reminds them, he says, Consider your calling, brethren. There are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish of things of this world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, the base things of the world, and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. And that, that right there, that sounds again like a Luke 18 where he's saying, I fast twice a week. Well, good for you. But do you recognize how sick you still are? No man should boast against God because it's not my fasting twice a week that gets me there. It's God's grace that gets me there. It's Christ's blood that gets me there. But by, doing, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I, I invited you, but you didn't come. You didn't realize you needed the this, this Savior. You didn't realize you needed a physician. You didn't realize that you should have come to the banquet that you were invited to, that you said you would come to. So I offered it to these. The base of the world, the shame, the, 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 the strong of the world. I'll invite them. Which boils all down to this for me. That number one, come on. Here we go. Nope, it's still not going to work. Oh, it does. Okay. On my screen, it looks much different. I'm glad it looks right up there. Okay. Number one, both groups need a new day. Both groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those, those who would say, okay, I'm religious. I've got it. Twice a day, I'm doing fine. I'm giving. I'm doing whatever it is I'm supposed to do. I'm okay. I'm that rich young ruler who's done everything right. And it still can't seem to get rid of the, the love of money. I'm that guy. And I don't recognize I need it. But everybody needs Christ. Is what he's coming in. This new day, I, I am coming and everybody needs me. Everybody needs Christ. Both groups need Christ. And number two, since this new day is coming... If you miss that, then you refer to number one. You get that? Refer to number one. Because that fig tree, God is saying there's new days coming, right? He's saying there's new days coming. And they're, they're telling him, why are you eating with people that are sinners? And he's saying, I'm coming because I'm a physician. I'm going to heal those. I've come for the, the sick. Not the religious here, not the righteous. I've come for the sick. And then we get to the garments and wine... If you're trying to shove the old into the new, you're going to miss that new day. You're going to miss that whole thing. That, that refers you right back to number one. I didn't know I needed that new. I'm trying to take this old thing, this old wine that I say, that's good enough for me. That's good enough. I don't need the new. I'm trying to take that old wine and I'm trying to try to use that rather than putting that new wine in, that old, in the new wineskins. I'll just go back to number one. And number three... 
God has acted, Jesus has acted, and it was acting in their day at that, at that present time. And if you miss number one and two, somebody else is going to take your place. The sinner from number one who recognizes that I need a new day. The sinner from number one that recognizes this new thing, and, and I'm not shoving the old in there, is going to recognize that when that banquet gets offered and that, that master says, come and eat at my table, he's going to say, yes, sir, I'm there. I'm coming. I'll drop what I'm doing and I'll come and eat. I don't have anything better to do. I don't care if I just got married. I don't care if I just bought some oxen or whatever. I'm, I'm coming to eat. Those are the three things I see there. You do, both of you need a new day. Both of us need a new day. Everybody needs a new day. And a new day is coming, but you could miss it if you don't recognize you need it. And God has acted. Jesus has acted. God has acted from way back when. He's already set that plan in motion. Jesus acted way back when. He set that plan in motion, and he continued that plan by dying on the cross and is offering that plan today. But if I choose to say, I don't need you, what more can he do? I've literally tied his hands at that point. It's amazing that God has allowed us to, in effect, tie his hands in some ways. I can make it so that God is ineffective in my life. Because I simply don't want to acknowledge him. I don't, I'm going to turn my back on him. And he will let me do that. He'll let me say that. And he's done everything else he can do. He sent his son. His son has come. His son has died. What more can he do? If you missed that in the past, you can take advantage of it today. That's the good news. The new day is still offered today. Every single day can be a new day. If we've missed it in the past, you can take advantage of it now and be in Christ and take care of that new day. But just like the Hebrew writer warns us, don't harden your hearts today. Because they used to. They hardened their hearts and they paid the price. If you harden your heart, you're going to miss that new day. For those who have accepted Christ, I think we can still fall into this new day conundrum. I think we can still fall into this. We've accepted Christ. We, we know that there's a new day. But man, that old life seems so attractive sometimes. We've got a new man, right? We, and, and Paul brings that out in Ephesians. He brings that out in other places about this new man, this old man. You've put on Christ and, and you put off the old man. And here is that new day scenario for me. That I am so comfortable with the old sometimes. I'm comfortable with what I know and what I do. That I fall into that shoving the old into the new again and it's not compatible. I can't shove my old life into this new life and, and make it work. It's not going to work at all. In fact, if we've accepted the lordship of him, then we've accepted the fact that my life needs to change and my life is not my own anymore. My life is now his. Look at Luke chapter 14 again. After he gets done with that, that uh, parable and that, that story about the banquet here, what does he launch into? The next thing we get is talking about being a disciple. Exactly. So if, if I'm going to recognize I need this new day, if I'm going to recognize that I'm, I'm ready to come to that banquet, and I do come to that banquet, then here he says, okay, here's what it's going to cost you. You want to, if you want this new day, this, this is what it is. If anyone comes to me, in verse 26, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross 
and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he launches into the tower about building the tower. And you're going to calculate the cost. You're going to consider the cost of building this before you do it. That's considering the cost of this discipleship too, this following Jesus. What's it going to cost me? What king, verse 31, sets out to meet another king in battle? Again, take, take, a, take a good look at what it's going to cost and make a decision. Therefore, verse 34, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. Again, Jesus saying, if you hear it and you understand it, great, then do it. If I've accepted that, that lordship in my life, if I said God rules my life, and Jesus is telling them over and over again, here, here's how God rules. He is making this new thing. This new day is coming. This kingdom is at hand. This new life is not yours anymore. You have a new direction. You have a new focus. You have new thoughts. You have new heart, mind, lips, all these things. But because the Pharisees can't get, un- can't get comfortable with the new, they're comfortable with the old. They're shoving the old into all of these things, just like I do sometimes. Jesus says, here's your cost. Here's what you need to consider. Jesus asks us to let go of what's comfortable. He asks me to let go of what's comfortable, to strip away the traditions I want you to go over to Romans chapter 8, first four verses there. When we're letting go of the comfortable, when we're letting go of the old and letting that new man, that new word enter our new lives and and rejuvenate us and, and get us transforming into the image of Christ, first four verses of Romans chapter 8. Removing that yoke that the fathers couldn't bear... Christ is coming with this new life. Eight one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We fall back into what we know so easily. I fall back into what I know so easily. But that new day makes a demand on us, doesn't it? A new life means it's not mine anymore, which means I can't go back into the comfortable, and sometimes I need to strip things out of my life that are those old, comfortable things. That's a good question to leave with you today. If you followed Christ, if you said, okay, I, I understand that. I want this new life. What is it that is in your life that you might need to strip away? Is there anything hanging on from that old man or that old woman that is, that is still bogging you down and not compatible with the new person? It's not compatible. It's going to explode that, that, that skin and it's going to drip everything everywhere if you're not careful. Because that old is sometimes so easy to fall into. But as new people, we live with new motivation, new priorities, new thoughts, new actions. We have that new lip, new mind, new heart. It again reminds me of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5, at the end of that chapter, after he says, you should be teachers by now, what does he say to them? At the very end of that chapter, he says, you have, no, it's right before that. It's, it's the, 
having your senses trained to discern good and evil. There's a muscle memory here in Christianity that, that people who have accepted this new life, this, this discipleship in Christ, are going to have their senses trained. We're going to be trained and we're going to be having that muscle memory that, that comes along with that training to be that new person in Christ, which leads me to the last verse I want to share with you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because to be that new person in Christ, the one that he's saying, this is the God that rules your life. This is the, the Christ that rules your life. Here is who you are through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, what is he? New creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's a new life, a brand new life. That new life is not compatible with that old thing. That new creature is not compatible with the old creature. That new man, not compatible with the old man. Just like the old law, not compatible with the new covenant. Who rules your life? Christ should rule our life. The one who makes all things new. And if you're in the one who makes all things new, then you have to have your senses trained to discern good and evil. And keep walking that new life in Christ. So my question for you today is, is there anything incompatible in your life with that new life? What needs to be stripped away? What needs to be refined? What needs to be looked at so that you don't slip back into the old patterns of the old person, the old man? Because the new and the old are not compatible. And Jesus says plainly, if God rules your life, you need to live this new life for me. Think about that this week as we stand and as we sing.